Amen. What's up, Everlast? How are we doing tonight? Woo, 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 woo. That's right. Man, it's, <laughs> it's so, seriously, so good to see you guys. We look forward to Everlast every Tuesday. Man, God is doing such a sweet work in our midst in this young adult ministry, and we're so glad that you're here. It's so good to see everybody. Uh, like my wife said earlier, please bring your friend next week. By the way, if you're new, my name's Kev. Hi. Um, it's good to see everybody, uh, but please bring your friend next week, please. We would love to have them. Uh, yes, so good, so super excited for what the Lord has in store for us uh, tonight. Like my wife said earlier, Tina, that uh, tonight we conclude our series B. And man, it's been so awesome to, uh, just, just, yeah, to, to see what the Lord has done. In this series, we've looked at um, just a handful of different moments uh, in Scripture where God tells us, um, what to be, what not to be, how to be, and ultimately to be with him. And so uh, if you didn't get a chance to hear uh, the sermons, no worries. Uh, they're available for you to listen uh, on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Just simply search Everlast Young Adults. You can check those out. Uh, but with that being said, let's get started with our final B verse. Are y'all ready? Excited to get in the word of God tonight. Amen. Check it out. Grab your Bibles, turn with me to Psalm 46. Psalm 46. It will not be on the screen for you, so I encourage you. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, we've got some in the back. You can share with your neighbor. Use your phone app, whatever it may be. Amen. And in the back corner, if, if you need them right there um, in that little shelf. Psalm 46. I'm going to read the entire thing. Y'all ready? Here we go. Thank you, Lord, for your word. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way. Though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, Selah. Which, by the way, just means pause. Think about what you just read. <laughs> there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. Verse 7, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Verse 8, come behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth he makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Let's pray one more time. Father, we come to you. We just say that you're holy. We honor you. And we love you. 
Can you just say that out loud? Say, I love you, Jesus. We love you, Lord. <laughs> Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you, Lord. You're doing such a mighty work in our midst in this young adult ministry. We're so thankful. I pray that as we continue in worship, in your word, God, that you would speak to us. Help us to grow in our understanding of what it means to be still. I encourage you, uh, take a couple seconds, pray for your own heart. Say, God, would you speak, me, uh, speak to me tonight? Next, I'd encourage you to pray for those on your, uh, on your left and right. Say, God, would you speak to them tonight? And lastly, I would kindly ask you to please pray for me, that God would use me to make things clear and helpful. Father, we love you. Speak to us now. We're listening. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, the other week on my day off, I was trying to, <laughs> I was trying to sleep in, but man, I just couldn't. Just couldn't. You ever been there? <laughs> yeah. Honestly, can I just say, y'all, that's kind of how it's always been for me. I've never really been able to sleep in. I'm both a night owl and an early bird. Anybody like that? Yeah. It's usually only when I'm like really, really tired or from work or I've just been go, 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 go that my body finally sleeps past my normal 5.45, 6 a.m. kind of call time. It's just how it's been, yeah, for a long time, ever since I can remember. Uh, when I was recently <laughs> trying to catch up on some more shut-eye on my day off, I was, uh, y'all, I was just wide awake. I, I, I moved to my back, fluffed my pillow, nothing. Moved to my side, fluffed the pillow, please, please, nothing. Moved to my stomach, any stomach sleepers in the house? Yeah, right, tried, didn't work, nothing. My wife, Tina, on the other hand, y'all, I'm pretty sure she has a, the spiritual gift of sleep. If there is a spiritual gift of sleep, she's got it. And when I, what I mean is that, sure, she'll wake up for various reasons, but can very easily go back to sleep. You see, th there's the kicker. It's the going back to sleep that I, if I could just say it, I suck at. Right? Pardon my French. I'm not spiritually gifted at that. Um, <laughs> anyways, this particular morning, recently, uh, Tina keeps... Uh, feeling the bed move as I was tossing side to side and and she's laying on her side facing away from me and she re you know my wife reaches her arm to me and toward me and, and pats me saying and it's you know it's just always like a patronizing like I'm a little dog kind of thing like she's like okay okay yeah Kev Kev you got to do something now <laughs> be still you can do it come on come on bro you got this be still it's okay it's okay you're fine. Be still. And I'm like, easy for you to say, sleep Wonder Woman. Like, she just, just, you know, I'm like, golly, I can't be still. I can't be still. I'm sure many of you can relate to this, right? 
whether we're gifted sleepers or not, there's been many moments in our lives where being still seems quite impossible. Can I get an amen to that? Amen, or again, amen just means to agree. So you're like, I agree, amen. The word still is actually a translation of the Hebrew word rapa, which means to slacken, let down, or cease. Cease. Check this out, though, y'all. <laughs> to slacken, let down, or cease. Be still and know that I am God, I would say has probably been a Bible verse plastered on more coffee cups than any other Bible verse. Any other Bible verse. Interestingly enough, it's the very substance within the coffee cup, coffee, that is full of the very ingredients whose job is to help us not be still. His name is Mr. Caffeine. Mr. Caffeine and I are great buds. I'll tell him y'all say what's up. Right, like, like Christians, y'all, Christians often don't interpret being still this way, though. But often rather interpret the command to be still as to be quiet in God's presence. With your coffee cup, and there's a candle lit, and the, the verse is on the coffee cup. And you're like, man, this is great. I'm going to be still and know. Y'all, for God's people, being still involves loving him, looking to him for their help. Check this out. While quietness is certainly helpful, the phrase literally means to stop frantic activity, to let down and to be still. And just to reiterate, yeah, for God's people, for those who have placed their faith In God, being still involves looking, uh, loving him and looking to him for their help. For God's enemies, being still would mean ceasing to fight a battle that they can't win. With that being said, I want to give some context and history of Psalm 46. You see, the Psalms uh, have been for many years what people run to. Um, We actually did a Psalm series not that long ago. People run to the Psalms, you know, and they still run to the Psalms today for many years and still today when when they're going through difficult times. Um, What's awesome about the Psalms is that honestly just reading them brings blessing. They're literally songs, S-O-N-G-S, songs written for us to sing and to cry out to God with. You can read the, but what's crazy about the Psalms is you can honestly read the Psalms without comment, without messages or, or lessons, and they bring blessing. But when we go behind the Psalms and we research the reason behind their having been written, the blessing, y'all, is doubled. It's doubled. Um, it's when we intentionally do this that we will never again be able to read the Psalms without remembering all that is going on to cause them to be written. Well, such is the case with, with Psalm 46. To understand it, we must go back to a period in history, y'all. Um, listen, of, or it's actually specifically a history of Israel. When things looked really, really bad for God's people. So let me set it up for you, cool? Hang with me. Y'all, this, I'm serious. When I said it, it's so cool. This stuff is, was blowing my mind. So cool. Check it out. It was in the year 701 B.C., that is before Christ, 701 B.C., Sennacherib, weird name, definitely not naming my kids Sennacherib, you'll, you'll definitely find out in a second, Sennacherib was king of Assyria, listen close, 
Sennacherib was king of Assyria. Sennacherib, y'all, did not fear nor did lo- he did not love God. Y'all, he was an expansionist. Um, Sennacherib, y'all, led the massive and brutal Assyrian army. He led this army through Syria into Israel and on south to Judah. Are y'all hanging with me? Say, so, yeah. Gotcha. Sweet. At the time of Sennacherib's rampage, Hezekiah, everybody say Hezekiah. Hezekiah was king over Judah. He was specifically, Hezekiah was assisted by the prophet Micah and Isaiah, his homeboys. Micah and Isaiah taught Hezekiah to trust God and to do right. King Hezekiah led the people of Judah, y'all, in a great revival. Y'all, he reinstated the Passover. Um, He reestablished the temple as the central place of worship, and he called the people back to obedience, back to God. It's so cool. We read these words about Hezekiah in the book of 2 Kings. Can y'all turn there real quick? 2 Kings. It's on the screen as well, but y'all can save your place in Psalm 46. Go to 2 Kings in the Old Testament. Go there real quick. 2 Kings, specifically chapter 18, verses 3, 5, 6, and 7. That's what we're going to read. We read all of these words about Hezekiah in this moment in 2 Kings. Here we go. 2 Kings, chapter 18, starting verse 3. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that David, his father, had done. Verse 5, now go to verse 5. He trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, so that there was none like him among all the kings of Judah after him, nor among those who were before him. Verse 6, for he, Hezekiah, held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but kept the commandments that the Lord commanded Moses. Lastly, verse 7, and the Lord was with him wherever he went out. He prospered. He rebelled against the king of Assyria and would not serve him. Y'all, as we begin this story, the northern, check this out, the northern king of Israel had already fallen to Assyria. All right? And the people of Israel were carried away captive, and now the bloodthirsty, y'all, this wicked, evil army of Assyria was on its way to Egypt And anything and anyone that got in its way was completely destroyed. Standing in the way of Sennacherib and all that he was trying to accomplish was the little kingdom of Judah and the walled city of Jerusalem. My wife and I, we've been there. It's amazing. Listen to this. The Assyrians sent their armies to Jerusalem, and as the leaders of the, Assyri- of the Assyrian army stood outside the walls of Jerusalem, the leaders of this Assyrian army, they began to taunt the people and blaspheme Jehovah God. Ooh, the Lord of hosts, ooh, scary. Oh, yeah, your God's going to do something, whatever. Like, just taunting. Here are their words, straight out of, let's go 2 Kings chapter 18, go to verse 29, skip ahead, it's on the screen, but go to verse 29. Here's their words, listen, thus says the king, do not let Hezekiah deceive you, for he will not be able to deliver you out of my hand. 
That's what Sennacherib was sending his leaders to say. Do not let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord by saying, the Lord will surely deliver us and this city will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Do not listen to Hezekiah. Check this out. At the same time as this threatening message from Sennacherib reached the ears of Hezekiah, check this out. Hezekiah also got a message from his buddy Isaiah. The prophet Everlast, as you can see here, Hezekiah was in a world of trouble. A world of trouble. Listen close. But Isaiah came bearing great news from the Lord to encourage him. Which, by the way, can y'all just, can I just ask this? Are you someone that encourages others? Think about it. Are you really someone who encourages others? Do you have the good news of God on your lips? Make sure you be one yourself and as well as surround yourself with these types of people. Amen? Here is, here's, check this out. Moving forward. Here's Isaiah's message to King Hezekiah. Here's his message. Second Kings, go to chapter 19. Here's his message. Chapter 19, verses 6 through 7. I think it's on the screen for you, but you can go there in your Bibles too. Isaiah said to them, say to your master, thus says the Lord, do not be afraid because of the words that you have heard with which the servants of the king of Assyria have reviled me. Behold, I will put a spirit in him so that he shall hear a rumor and return to his own land, and I will make him fall by the sword in his own land. <laughs> Y'all, this is crazy. This is awesome stuff. The Bible says that Hezekiah took, check, I love this part. The Bible says that Hezekiah took the threatening letter from Sennacherib and he went up to the house of the Lord. And he spread the letter out before the Lord and began to pray. And here's that prayer. Check it out. Second Kings chapter 19. We're still there, but go to verse 19. Verse 19. Here's Hezekiah's prayer. So now, O oh Lord, our God, save us, please, from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, O oh Lord, are God alone. What I love about Hezekiah in this moment, what I love about it, y'all, let me just ask you a question. When something comes your way, when something hard happens, a hardship, a, a curveball thrown at you, listen, do you run to Jesus first? Don't let that just be some type of like cheesy question or something like, yeah, sure. Do you really run to Jesus first? I'll tell you what, by God's grace, I've been married eight, eight years and some change now. And something that I even have a propensity to do is I'll, I'll like run to my wife first. And, 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 not, and, and that, not that that's a bad thing. I'll run to a brother in Christ first. And not that that's a bad thing. But y'all, may the, may the immediate response to adversity would be to run to God. He's the only one that can do something about anything. He can do anything about something. Hallelujah. And we get this example with Hezekiah. Listen, y'all, this isn't just some random encouragement or something. This is the voice of God. In this case, specifically, it's the voice of Isaiah speaking for God. Y'all, what, what, what Isaiah told him, what God, it's not a voice of reckless abandon that calls us to be oblivious to our enemy. No, it's a voice of promise. It's a voice of hope, a strong reminder that we serve a mighty God. And he is in control. We don't have to be afraid. He is with us. 
What's that old song I used to, uh, what a mighty God we serve. What a mighty God we serve. Angels bow before him. Heaven and earth adore him. What a mighty God we serve. He's so mighty, y'all. It's true. So back to our text. Here's the picture. The brutal Assyrian army has surrounded the city of Jerusalem. Hezekiah, Judah's leader, has prayed for God's miraculous delivery. Uh, delivery and guess what, Everlast? God is literally about to throw down. God is about to intervene. It's on the screen. Go to 2 Kings in your Bibles. If it's in front of you, it's good to read it right in front of you too. 2 Kings chapter 19, verses 35 through 36. And that night, <laughs> that night, the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when people arose early in the morning, behold, these were all dead bodies. Then Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went home and lived at Nineveh. Eventually, dying by the sword of his land. <laughs> Y'all, this is such an amazing victory that God won for his people that night. Completely walled in by trouble and surrounded by what was certain to be death and disaster. On paper, y'all, Judah was about to be just utterly destroyed. But God intervened and he caused all the people to know that he is God. To commemorate that victory, guess what? Psalm 46, this hymn of praise was written. Now, we don't know who exactly wrote this specific hymn, and commentators have different opinions, but there is very, y'all, Everlast, there is very little doubt that this psalm was written to immortalize, right? Like, like to make famous the, the ultimate and awesome triumph of the angel of the Lord over the surrounding enemy. By the way, you would think, I was just kind of thinking, like, you would think, you would think that there would be like 10,000 angels, right? Like, maybe, t you know, maybe like, one angel for every 10 dudes or something. <laughs> like, like God would send this host of, of angels. But no, y'all, literally, one angel. The angel of the Lord. When the Bible refers, y'all, to the angel of the Lord, example, Psalm 34, uh, Daniel 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, it's talking about the Son of God. This is, y'all, this is Jesus before he came to earth as a man. The real Jesus coming out of heaven to slay 185,000 wicked Assyrian men. Can you imagine waking up to see that the next morning? 185,000 dead bodies everywhere. Blood, broken bows, shattered spears, all the chariots on fire. Come behold the works of the Lord. How he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Y'all, this is the backdrop of our beloved coffee cup verse. Give him praise. Come on. 
which clearly, which clearly shows that being still isn't mainly about the act of, you know, being quiet in God's presence with your coffee. Honestly, can I say it this way? Be still is a rebuke before it's a comfort. I think that's on the screen for you. You can write that down if you want. Be still is a rebuke before it is a comfort. It's crazy, though, on how when we talk about this verse, be still and know that I'm God, that we, just like anything else, make us in our comfort the priority before God. God's priority in us is to be, in being still is about our awe of him, not our comfort. God's ultimate priority for us, y'all, is to love him. For, for greatest commandment, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. I love how Oswald Chambers puts it. He says it like this. He said, your priorities must be, uh, uh, must be God first, God second, <laughs> God third, until your life is continually face-to-face -face with God. As a matter of fact, God is a jealous God. It is not that God is jealous or envious because someone has something he wants or needs. No, Exodus 20, 4 through 5, it's on the screen, check it out, says this, you shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them for, uh, or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Notice here, Everlast, that God is jealous when someone gives to another something that rightly belongs to him. Example, if a husband sees another man flirting with his wife, he has a right to be jealous, for only he has a right to flirt with his wife. This type of jealousy is not sinful. Rather, it is entirely appropriate. Being jealous for something that God declares to belong to, that belongs to you is a good and, a, and it's appropriate. Jealousy is a sin when it is a desire for something that does not belong to you. Y'all worship, praise, honor, and adoration belong to God alone, for only he is truly worthy of it. Therefore, God is rightly jealous when love, worship, praise, honor, and adoration is given to idols. Listen, Everlast, gosh, listen to this. God will not settle to be a second lover to you. No. I believe through Psalm 46 that God is showing us something here, y'all. Today and every day, a war will be fought on the turf of your hearts. Now, do we have an army of 185,000 wicked soldiers outside our homes? Obviously not. But the opposing army of sin is continuously taunting you to not be still and know, to not trust, to not love God. The question I want to pose to you tonight, here's my main question. Will you be still and be ruled by love for God or for some other lover? Man, here's the thing, though. It's so easy to give the right, quote-unquote, spiritual answer to that question and, and I just asked, no doubt about it, Kev. Yeah. My heart will be controlled by love for God above all else. But the problem is, though, Everlast, at street level, there's still a love, a war of love in our hearts. We often lose our way. 
Love of the world and the things that are in the world still hijacks our heart's affection. Unfortunately, we forget God and tell ourselves that we must have fill in the blank. Love for God, y'all, competes in our hearts with love of self. Love for God battles um, with our craving for the love of others. Material things, um, physical experiences steal our affections and our motivations. So yes, there's most definitely a war going on. 1 Peter 2.11 says, Abstain from the passions of your flesh, which wage what? War against your soul. Y'all, I wish, I wrote them out. I wrote these out. I wish what I'm about to share is not true about me. I seriously wish that what I'm about to share with you is not true about me. But it is. Sometimes I want my comfort too much, and because of that, I become an irritable and grumbling man because I'm not getting what I think I deserve. Sometimes I want to be right too much and I can become aggressive and argumentative. Sometimes I'm passive aggressive instead of just simply being straightforward. Sometimes I want the respect, attention, and affirmation of others too much and because I do, I am way too controlled by their opinions and what they think of me. Sometimes I set my heart on a particular thing too much and I feel deprived until I'm able to find a way to get it. Sometimes I want control too much and I become more demanding than serving. Sometimes I esteem a personal pleasure too much and I invest far too much time, far too much money in pursuit of it. But... Are these things that try to get more territory and turf in my heart and battle for the position that only love for God should have? Are, they, are these things evil in and of themselves? No. Y'all, the desire to be right, to be respected, to be affirmed, to have cool stuff, to have some control, to experience pleasure or whatever is not inherently evil. What we have to do, y'all, is to keep these things in check and keep them at bay. Don't let these desires have a grip on you. You need to have a grip on them. Pastor and author Paul David Tripp said it best when he said this. Listen, it's on the screen. A desire for a good thing becomes a bad thing when that desire becomes a ruling thing. When good things become controlling, they command the affection of our hearts and then shape our words, our actions, our behavior. When this happens, they take the place in our hearts that only God should have. It was also Paul David Tripp who said this. Check it out. I think it's on the screen. We are always placing the love of our hearts on something. And it is important to remember that there are only two places where we can invest that life-shaping love. On the creator or on the creation. It's not wrong to love God's glorious creation, but it is a spiritual disaster to be ruled by that love. And man, oh man, there's a whole lot of other examples of creation, or rather other lovers, trying to win the affection in our hearts and gain more turf in our hearts. Listen, God created things for us to enjoy, but not take the place of the relationship with our relationship with him. You know, there's a dude that's an acquaintance of mine. Uh, his name is JP. Uh, he's the pastor of a church in Waco. Uh, I've led worship at, uh, at a couple of events in the past, and I've had the opportunity to hang with him backstage and stuff like that, have some cool conversations. And y'all, this dude loves Jesus, and God is using him and his church mightily in Waco, Texas, and, and beyond. Um, JP recently shared with his church a story of a buddy of his that was texting him. 
something that was honestly very profound and true. This buddy of JP loves to work out, like loves to work out. And from what JP shared, you can most definitely tell this dude worked out. <laughs> his buddy texted him saying this, and I'm going to put it on the screen for you. This is what his buddy texted him and said. Thinking through how I used to justify working out as, quote unquote, a place where God meets me. While working out isn't inherently bad, the Lord has shown me I've used it as spiritual justification for narcissism. It's not silence and solitude. It never helps me relinquish control, but rather just perpetuates my desire to do what I want to do when I want to do it. There's no peace in that time. And I'm mostly going away only to return a person who loves myself more and not others. It's quote unquote me time, which is very different than Jesus in the desert or Paul in Arabia. Y'all, that's a word. I think working out and eating well can be great if it's for the purpose of caring well for your body. First Timothy 4.8 says, for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. But if working out and eating well is for mirror time, then you're just worshiping the wrong thing. The apostle Paul said it in 1 Corinthians 6.12, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Y'all working out is just one, it's a topic, one topic, a topic. Like I said, there's a ton of examples of creation or rather other lovers trying to win your affection, our affection, and gain more turf in our hearts. This begs some questions then. I'm gonna ask some questions. What good thing are you right now being tempted to make or are actually making ultimate over God? What dominates your life? Love for creation or love for God? What are you rationalizing away, but in reality has mastery over you? Please don't dismiss these questions too quick. You know, there's a friend here that works with us. His name is Zach, and he prayed a prayer once that stuck with me like white on rice. <laughs> I was on a prayer walk with him, and he said, God, if there's anything that I don't even know has mastery over me, please uproot it. Please take care of it. That deep place. And it's powerful. Replacing it with you. The things that we make ultimate over God and rationalize, y'all, are endless. But I tell you what, tonight would be a great time to turn away from the lying lover of, of sin and self and to turn to the one who completely will utterly satisfy you. One of me and my wife's favorite artists is Jonathan Reynolds. He wrote a song which we, which we sang a few moments ago. He wrote a song, uh, Jonathan Reynolds. Uh, the lyrics are on the screen, I'm gonna put them up again. What I lack, 
you are full of. Where I'm broken, you are whole. What I'm doubting, you are sure of. So I'll trust the lover, lover of my soul. You know, it was also Jonathan McReynolds that said, make sure that you don't do too much stuff for God that you forget to do stuff with God. <laughs> love that. Y'all, to love God means to do stuff with God. <laughs> Y'all, it would be absolutely, no doubt about it, ludicrous for me to pursue my bride, get on one knee, and commit my life to her, vow before her, family and friends, and ultimately God, that I will always love her, only to never look at her, talk with her, be with her, or spend time with her and love her. That's ludicrous. Simply put, y'all, I would say to be still and know that he is God is to be in love and know that he is God. Y'all, being still before God has way more to do with being in awe of God than sitting quietly in his presence like we have unfortunately associated Psalm you know, 46 with. Listen, you can sit quietly, listen, you can sit quietly all you want, Everlast, all you want. But if there is no true awe of God, there's no true trust in God. If there's no true trust in God, there's no true love for God. And if there's no true love for God, there's no true stillness in knowing that he is God and God alone. I'll tell you this much, the awe of God was off the Richter scale when the people of Judah saw the aftermath of the defeat of the Assyrian army at the mighty hand of Jesus. We can't love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength if, we aren't all, if, if we're in all of his creation rather than him. We can't give our whole heart if our heart is divvied up in, in pieces to other lovers. We can't let God rule our life if we're quicker to defend and rationalize sin as okay or good when it's deathly bad. Living for God is void if we're not living with God. <laughs> when we are captivated by God, y'all, a thousand other lovers will fall by the wayside. End of the day, you can't give your all to God unless you're in awe of God. You can't give your all to God unless you're in awe of God. And can I just say this? I know I've mentioned it before, you know, in the past here, but just something practical that I think that we are way too still with, and it's probably in everybody's pocket right now. And I think, I think, the evil one has really not just tempted, but has won many, many battles because of entertainment in our westernized culture, because of your iPhone or whatever's in your pocket. Man, y'all, we cannot be, we have to be careful not being entertained by what Christ died for. Some of y'all, there's, there's literal bondage there. You have to have your phone. And I think it's important that we talk practically like that, like the habitual nature of our phones and TV and all these things. And it's important that we don't just legalistically say, okay, don't do this and do, no. Like, what's the heart behind it? Clearly, clearly it's just an incessant pull of just no satisfaction. You can veg out all day on Netflix you want. Isn't it, is it crazy? It's like we're so busy with other things that we maybe don't even know how to be still with the Lord. And there's so many different practical things you can do when you're being still with God. 
I remember there was one time I was really frustrated. I couldn't hear from God. And I was with my old worship ministry. We were in Texas and we were at this conference and I was getting people signed in and checked in. And Tina was in this one room called the Linger Room. And this Linger Room, like there was the big room with all the big speakers and all the things and the platform artists and all the conference, da 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 da. Then there's this room called the Linger Room. The Linger Room was a small room where nonstop worship and Bible reading was taking place. And you can just sit in there. You can skip out on all the main sessions just to spend time with God. And I was sitting there. I sat down to Tina like this. And I just, I got there, finally was able to get there. And I was just like, and Tina's just sitting there enjoying the Lord. And I'm just like, I'm, I'm ticked. I'm just like, oh, just restless. So many things weren't going right. And I, and, and I leaned into my wife. I said, hey, um, honestly, babe, like, what do you do? And I had to whisper because, you know, it's quiet. I was like, what do you do when you feel like you can't hear from God? Like, what do you do? Because I, I, sure, I've known Jesus a long time. Just, just answer me. Just be straight with me. You're my best friend. Tell me. And she didn't answer me for like two minutes, which made me even more mad. And then she leaned in, and I said, babe, seriously, what do you do when you, you freaking can't feel like you can't hear from God? What do you do? She leaned in, and she said, I wait. We don't know how to wait, y'all. That's one practical thing that, that scriptures are oozing. Psalm 27, wait for the Lord. He's your strength, your shield. I'm going to keep going, but I mean, that can preach all day. And by the way, when you wait, it's not like God's dangling a carrot out in front of you, like, ooh, just come, you know, that's not, no, that's not his heart. He wants you to trust him, not your iPhone, not entertainment, not sensual pleasures or anything like that, not these temporal things. He wants you to trust him. He knows what's best. Wait for him. And honestly, the biggest thing, what we're talking about tonight, all these second lesser lovers, <laughs> true second lesser lovers, man, practically speaking, we need to be taking the ax to some of these things because they're just like a cancer sucking the life out of us. That's something practically on how we can be still. <laughs> Romans eleven thirty six says, everything is from him and by him and for him. Glory belongs to him forever. Amen. God will not settle to be a second lover to you everlast. He wants us to know that he and he alone is God. Are you going to let other lesser lovers take his place? Or are you going to be still and know that he's God? Let me lastly say this tonight. Do you know why I think it's so hard for us to be still and know that he's God? Why, Kev? Well, let me tell you. It's not because we are dissatisfied. Listen close. It's not because we're dissatisfied. No, we are rather satisfied. What do you mean, Kev? Well, y'all, we are all too satisfied. We are all too satisfied with who we are, where we are, and what we're doing. We're all too satisfied with a little bit of biblical understanding. We're all too satisfied with occasional moments of ministry. We're satisfied with going to church, getting a little something, and then that maybe helped us to feel better or something. We're satisfied with not fully reconciling with someone we have conflict with. 
we're satisfied with a, a, bit, a bit of a grasp on the theology of Scripture. We're satisfied with that. We're satisfied with quick morning devotions. We're satisfied with little ministry experience. We're satisfied in our disappointment with God that we don't walk away. <laughs> we, we are satisfied to be mere consumers of the work of the church rather than committed participants in it. We are satisfied with hearts that occasionally wander and with thoughts that contradict with what the Bible says is good and true. Y'all, we are all too satisfied. But praise be to God that he will not settle to be our second lover. We worship a very dissatisfied Savior and Redeemer. He knows we still need the transforming work of his powerful and amazing grace everlast. Praise God that he is not satisfied and rather, rather in, listen, in, in gracious dissatisfaction, God will not give up, relent, and will pursue you even though you are satisfied with not pursuing him. Even though we rationalize sin and are, are busy with other things and, and other uh, lesser lovers, God will pursue us and love us until we see that being still with him is where true life happens. So again, I ask, Everlast, will you be still before and be ruled by love for God or by some other lover? Amen? Let's pray.